The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. If you have your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 3. And uh, we have these little things you got when you came in, these little new song notes on the back of it. You can follow along with the message this morning, some fill in the blanks, some of the verses are on there. We've been in a series for the last several weeks called You Ask For It, where we've been answering the questions that you, the people of New Song Church, have asked. And today, as we close out this series, we're going to answer the question. You ready for this? We didn't put it on your notes yet. You probably noticed that, right? Here, here it is. If you, you want the title, here's the title of today's message. If you ask for it, is the church anti-woman? Yeah, good question, right? So I'm going to answer that question today. Now, that, let me just say this. Men, be careful where you amen today. We had a guy in first service, and I said, is the church anti-woman? And he said, yes. And he didn't, he, he was saying yes, that we're talking about the topic, but it sounded like he was, so that was pretty awesome. But uh, yeah, so just be careful there. I'm not saying be quiet, because I don't want you to be quiet, but just be careful, all right? Is the church anti-woman? You know, we live in a world where uh, it's kind of historically and is still existing today that there's some hostility when it comes to women. Like, it just exists. In fact, there's a documentary that came out a few years ago called It's a Girl, the Three Most Deadly Words in the World. And the documentary was about how there, there's this thing where there's nine, somewhere between 90 and 100 million females that are currently missing in the world right now. And a lot of the reason why is because of different cultures around the planet and how they see women and how they treat women. And sex trafficking. And there's some, there's some countries where when a baby is born, if it's a girl, they, they abandon it on the side of the road or throw it in a dumpster. Because they don't value females in society at all. And what's sad is even in religion, we see that there's religions that have, are, are this way as well. In fact, there's, there's certain countries and, and religions where if you're a woman, you got to be dressed head to toe, completely covered. You, you're abused, you're treated poorly, you can be killed for just the slightest infractions of the religious beliefs. And, and even in the, in the world of Christianity, we see there's this division when it comes to the role of women in the kingdom of God and the role of women in the church. And so today, what I want to do is I want to bring some clarity to this subject and show you from Scripture uh, what I believe to be true about the way that God sees women, what the Bible says about women, and what Jesus showed us about women. So it's going to be really good. So let me answer the question. Is the church anti-women? Let me say it like this. It shouldn't be. Sadly, it is, but it, it shouldn't be. A church, that is, a church that's operating and functioning under uh, what Jesus Christ purchased should not be anti-woman. And I'll show you this today. A church that is really functioning based on what the Bible teaches us should not be anti-woman. So, so then you say, well, Pastor Josh, then why does it appear that way? Like, why, why is it that there are some verses in Scripture, some that are very liberating to women, and then there's some that you kind of find yourself going, what is this? Well, part of it has to do with understanding context and culture. And I want to show you today, there's some, there's some verses that we've taken and sometimes the church world has ran with them because of, we didn't understand the context and culture of when these verses were spoken. But the other side of it, and this is a really important side of this that you need to understand, and that is, why does the world seem anti-woman? Why does the, the, the Christian world seem anti-woman? Here's why. Because of a thing called the curse. The curse. 
In Genesis chapter 3, we have uh, the fall of man. If you, you know this story, you probably heard it before. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden in this perfect place. And Satan comes to them in the form of the serpent and he tempts them. And, and Eve eats of the fruit. And then she turns to her husband, who, by the way, is right there beside her the whole time. And she gives him the fruit. And he eats of the fruit. And so they sin together. And when they sin together, uh, it opens up this curse to, to enter into the world. And this, this curse of the law that, that enters into the world, that, that does damage to this world. And, and so then we see God come down and he pronounces this curse. He explains what's gonna be, what the world's going to be like from this point on. And so first he talks to the serpent. Then he proclaims the, the curse to the woman, then to, then to the man. It says this in Genesis chapter 3. This is the curse on the serpent. And what you see in these verses is you're going to see why we see some of the anti-woman stuff in Scripture that we, or in the world today that we see. So the Lord God said to the serpent, so he's talking to Lucifer, this is Satan, this is the enemy. He says, because you have done this, because you've tricked man and woman, cursed are you above the livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now look at this. And I will put enmity. If you have a physical Bible with you, you can circle that, highlight that enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And then what's interesting is God is talking about the curse here, but he actually points to the redemption of Jesus Christ that's going to come. And in the first messianic prophecy, he says, he, talking about Jesus, will crush your head someday and you will strike his heel. So he says, someday this is going to be broken and God's going to crush this but you're going to strike his heel. That's a picture of the cross. But the, the crushing is a picture of what Jesus did through the cross. But notice it says there was going to be an, there's going to be an enmity between you and the woman. That word enmity means hostility, anger, resentment, violence. And what I want you to see this morning is that a part of the curse is that there is a hostility, there is an anger, a resentment that Satan has towards women. You're taking notes, the devil hates women. He hates women. Now, understand the devil hates everybody, okay? So we're all in this together. But he has a special place of hate for women. And he wants to destroy women. Because see, the devil does what the devil does. The Bible says that he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So he does that to everybody. But there's a special place in his heart for women. And he wants to produce violence against them. He wants to, he's resentful from them. He brings hostility against them. And some of these things, the hostility and the anger and the resentment and the violence that we see against women, understand it's not just because the world is the way it is. It's because there's demonic forces at work in the world that are driving this curse into the world. And it's still at work today. The devil hates women. It's part of the curse. Now, the second part of this we see in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. This is the curse on the woman. Look at this. Then he said to the woman, so this is the curse against her, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and, and in pain you will give birth. Now, look at this. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So part of the curse against women is, and, and in, with men, is that there's going to be this unhealthy desire in women to want to control men. And there's going to be this unhealthy desire in men to want to dominate women. And this is what we see in the world that we live in today. And it's not just in the world we live in today. It's not just in certain parts of, of the country. It's something that has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. We see this through the entirety of history. Men dominating women. Women trying to control men. just going on and on and on. We see it in Scripture. 
Now listen, when I say we see it in Scripture, I'm not saying that, that God endorses this in Scripture. Because remember, this is the curse. Okay, God doesn't endorse the curse. But because the Bible is not just the Word of God, it actually brings us to enlightenment on the history of what was going on at the time. We see this stuff in operation sometimes in Scripture. But this is the world that we live in today. And this is the world that we raise our sons and our daughters in today. Just think about it. Your your kids are growing up in a world today where they hear music. And our sons are raised to listen to this music that's all about dominating women. Having control. Having power. Having power in this world. Dominating. Being in this position of of domination. And songs where where typically a a girl is leading. We find a lot of this cursed music that speaks to her working to control men. And get what she wants from a man. A lot of times by using sexuality to get it. We see this in movies. We see it in stuff like pornography, which is rampant in the world today. You know what pornography is? It's just trying to get control, trying to dominate. It's wanting what I want, when I want it, where I want it, from who I want it from. That's pornography. And it's, it's a part of the curse. And so we're raising sons in this kind of environment. And this is why our sons grow up and, you know, they sit in, they sit in food courts at the mall and they see girls and they, they rank them. That girl's a six. That girl's just a three. And this is why they're not ranking them going, you know, she's maybe a three, but I bet spiritually she's like a 10. <laughs> and they don't do that. It's the curse. And then women are, young girls are raised in the same world where they walk by these magazine racks and they see these pictures of these photoshopped girls that no one can live to the standard. And, and beside them are these little headlines on these magazines that say stuff like five ways to control a man, six ways to get what you want. 50 ways to seduce a man in less than a minute. Like, I'm not making that up. I actually read that this week. I can't even do 50 things in less than a minute. <laughs> They're teaching you how to seduce men. I don't, I don't get it. But what I want you to see is it's, this is the curse. There's this, we call it the, the battle of the sexes. It's a real thing, and it's the curse. It's men wanting to dominate women. It's women wanting to get control, and we're fighting against each other. There's this battle going on, and it's been going on for a long time. <laughs> And what's interesting, when you start to study Scripture and you start to look at the context of Scripture and the context of the world, one of the worst times that we saw this in operation in the world was at the time that Jesus came into the picture. In first century Israel, the world was one of the most oppressed worlds we've ever seen towards women. Uh, and there, there, was a t- there was a period of time between Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. There was a 400-year period there where there was silence from God. And during that time, a lot of Hebrew men, because God wasn't talking so much, started coming up with all these rules and adding all these laws, and and it became a very oppressed time, especially for women. In fact, first century Israel looks more like modern-day Iran or Afghanistan, where women were covered head to toe and living under this very oppressed society. Women were just a little bit, listen to me, this is the the truth, women were just looked at a little bit higher than a dog at the time of Jesus. Women could not testify in, in a court because uh, they were known to be inherent liars. That's how they were looked at in society. Women couldn't talk in public. They weren't allowed to just say anything they wanted to say. Uh, a husband at that time could, could have multiple wives. He could function in polygamy. And, and 30, 40-year-old men could marry 12-year-old girls. And he could divorce them for any reason that he wanted to, but she could not divorce him for any reason. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a totally messed world. Girls couldn't, they couldn't be taught anything. They were illiterate. 
They, didn't, they weren't allowed to go to the temple. They weren't allowed to assemble in like a classroom setting. Women couldn't go to school. They couldn't be taught at this time. I mean, the culture of this day was very oppressive towards women. In fact, there was a famous Hebrew saying at the day, at the time of Jesus, that said this, it is foolishness to teach the Torah, which is God's word, to your daughter. Why would we teach the Torah to women? They're just a little bit higher than dogs. Why would we do that? There was a, a famous rabbi at the time, a guy named Elzer, who, who was quoted as saying this, I'd rather burn the Torah than teach it to a woman. In the Talmud, which is the oral tradition of the Hebrew people, it's kind of almost like a, a history book of oral tradition that they kept. Speaking of women at the time of Jesus, it says this. It says, they are swathed like a mourner, referring to how they are dressed. In other words, they look like somebody just died, like they're going to a funeral and how they dress themselves. Isolated from people and shut up in a prison. This is the state of women at the time that Jesus comes on the scene. There is no more oppressed group of people in the world than women at the time of Jesus. And then Jesus shows up. Right? And he gets up the first time he ever communicates to people and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And what does he say? I've come to set at liberty those that are in captivity. And understand, there is no group of people more in captivity at the time of Jesus than women. And so when you understand this, and then you begin to look at the life of Jesus and look at the interactions he has with women, you see that Jesus was a revolutionary. Jesus was amazing. In fact, today, church, I'd like to introduce you to the founder of the women's liberation movement. His name is Jesus Christ. And I want to show you in scripture some of this. Okay, think about this. Okay, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. You've probably heard this story before. You can turn there if you want to. You can read it this week. Story of Mary and Martha. You guys remember this story? We've heard this story before. They're having dinner with Jesus. Jesus is at their house, Martha's house. And Martha's running around. She's getting everything ready. And we read this story and today in 2018 America. And you've probably heard it taught. In fact, we've taught it here at New Song Church before. That, you know, the problem was, one of the morals of the story is, she was so caught up in doing all the work and all this stuff that she didn't realize that Jesus was here, like her sister, Mary, who's sitting at the feet of Jesus. So Martha's around trying to get everything ready. Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she's upset about this. And we read it today and we're like, yeah, obviously, you know, Jesus is there. And we say, this is something we need to learn. We get so busy with our lives sometimes that we don't realize that Jesus just wants to have an interaction with us. And listen, that's the truth. But you need to understand something. Everybody that was there that day when this was going on, everybody but Jesus and Mary was thinking the exact same thing. What is she doing? What is he doing? Women are not allowed to sit at the feet of a teacher. We'd rather burn the Torah than teach it to a woman. How dare her sit at the feet of a teacher? How can she be doing this? And Martha, her sister, who's still thinking with the curse in mind, is seeing the exact same thing. And so she goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I'm being a good Hebrew girl. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm doing the work and the kitchen stuff that I'm supposed to be doing. How dare you let my sister sit like this? You need to tell her to come help me. And Jesus says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 41. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing, we say one thing, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus says, listen, Martha, I get that you've been raised in this culture. I get that for 400 years, your, your great-grandma and your grandma and your mom and everybody has been doing it this way, but, but I'm going to tell you, there's something better. And your sister has chosen it. 
And understand, this is what he's saying, and you can do it too. Jesus right here is saying, a woman can sit at the feet of Jesus and be taught. This is not what everybody knows to be true at this time. This is revolutionary. Jesus is giving permission. Martha can't see it because Martha's still thinking under the curse. And a lot of churches today can't see it because a lot of churches are still thinking under the curse. But I want you to see this morning is there's some good news for women. And here's the first one. Jesus loves women. Jesus loves women. Jesus loves and values women. Let me take you to another story. There's a story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. You guys remember this story? All these thousands of people are there to see Jesus. And they get hungry. And there's no food. And so Jesus, the, the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, there's no food. Like these, we need to dismiss these people. And Jesus is like, no, just you feed them, right? And so they, they can't find any food. They come back to Jesus with a few loaves and fishes. And Jesus is like, okay, cool. And he starts taking that and, and, and he does this miracle. He multiplies it and all these people get fed. I mean, it is an incredible miracle to the point that there's, there's food left over. There's more food left over after everybody's eaten than they originally started with. How many you know that's a miracle, right? And so he does this incredible miracle. And then at the end, it says this in Matthew 14, 21. Now, those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, we read that today and it kind of sounds like, well, the men were counted, but the women were just kind of, you know, women and children. Like there were 5,000 men there and there's a few women and children. But that's not at all what it's saying. Listen, the fact that women and children are there is revolutionary to this culture. They were there. The fact that it speaks of them. Like the the best way you can almost explain this, and this is probably not going to even sound exactly right, but it's like saying, you know, at the turn of the century, it's like seeing a church and you saying, there was a hundred white people there. And there was a hundred black people there. At the same time in a church. Like we understand, like that kind of stuff wasn't happening back then. That's what's going on here. This is revolutionary. Jesus is changing the way everybody sees women. There's another story in the Bible. You guys know the story of Lazarus. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus has died. And and before Jesus goes and raises him from the dead, he has this encounter where he goes to see Lazarus. And when he gets there, he meets Martha. Martha, we just read about Martha. And, and, And she's getting a revelation now of who Jesus is and what he's all about. And he has this interaction with her. And then she goes to get her sister. And notice how she puts it to her sister. John 11, verse 28. She went her way and secretly, everybody say secretly. Secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come. Notice how she refers to Jesus. The teacher, the teacher has come and is calling for you. Why does does it say she secretly goes? Because rabbis, teachers, weren't supposed to be teaching women. And she goes and she doesn't say, hey, to her sister, she doesn't say, the master's here, Jesus is here, the Lord is here. She says, the teacher is here. Why? Because for the first time in her life, a man of God is teaching her the word of God. For the first time in her life, a man of God is showing that she has value in the kingdom of God. It's revolutionary to the time. And I'm telling you, I could show you story after story after story of this all through Scripture. Once you understand the context of the day and you start seeing these interactions Jesus has with women, it's incredible. But let's just go to the end. At the end of, of Jesus' ministry here on earth, when, what does he do? He goes to the cross and he dies on the cross and he fulfills what is said that's going to happen in Genesis chapter 3. The enemy strikes his heel and he's crucified. But what happens? He's raised from the dead and he defeats sin and he crushes the head of sin. 
And the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 3, when it talks about how he will crush your head, it, it prophesies of the work of Jesus. That word head there, one of the definitions of that word is divisions. Divisions. In other words, Jesus will crush the head of division. See, one of the, the things that Jesus came to do through the cross is not to just to fix this great divide that was between man and God. It's to fix this great divide that exists between man and man, between race and race, and listen, between man and woman. And Jesus, through the cross, fulfilled that. That's why Galatians 3 verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. The second good news point for you women this morning is that the cross broke the curse. The cross broke broke the power of the curse. And so this curse that exists of, of, of men dominating women and women wanting to control men, of, of, of the enmity that the enemy has and, and that being a powerful force against you, that curse has been broken. The teeth of that has been broken off of you. The power of that has been broken. But listen, it's been broken from us who make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our life. But it's not completely broken off of this world. This world is still under a curse. And there's a lot of people who have not made Jesus the Lord and Savior of their life who are still living under this curse. But, but also listen to this. There's a lot of people who have made Jesus the Lord of their life. And their spirit has been freed. And they can walk in freedom from this curse. But because their mind hasn't been freed, they still align themselves with the curse all the time. And this is why we see women, Christian women, who find themselves in relationships with men who abuse them, who beat them, and treat them like dogs. And they stay in those relationships. Because they continue to think and live under the curse of, I, I need a man in my life. Let me tell you something this morning. If you have a man, if you're, if you're a woman in here today, listen to me as your pastor. If you have a man in your life who is abusing you, you can call, you can make two calls right away. One is call on the name of Jesus. Secondly, right after that, dial 911 and call the police. And let them know what's going on. Because that is not okay. You hear me? I'm not giving men permission to beat women today. And I'm not giving you permission, woman of God, to sit and, and live under a man who's abusing you like that. That is wrong. That is not the heart of Jesus Christ. And you don't have to put up with that junk. Can I get a real good amen? amen. But we align ourselves with this way of thinking. Women will stay in relationships with men who... Break covenant after covenant after covenant with them. Do things that risk their children and their family's safety and security. If that's going on, contact us here at the church. We'd love to counsel you. We'd love to help you to get this figured out because that's not okay. You're living under the curse. Women who align themselves in relationships with, with guys who are fine to live with you. They're fine to have you live with them and you can have sex and... You can share bank accounts, but they, they don't really want to commit. You're living under the curse if you're living that way. You're aligning yourself with curse thinking. What, what I hope you see this morning is women, you're, because of Jesus Christ, because of the cross, you don't have to live under this curse. And you don't have to view yourself from a view that the world puts on women that's under the curse. You, you're not judged by the size of your waist. You're not judged by your position in the workforce in the world. You're not judged by whether you got a man or not. You're not judged by whether you got a baby or not. You are judged by how Jesus sees you. 
You are a child of God. You've been set free. And listen, because of that, you are just as good as anyone else. In fact, Paul says it like this in Galatians 3, verse 28. If you get nothing out of this message today, please get this, okay? Galatians 3, 28, Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male, everybody say male, and female. For you are all one. Somebody say one. One in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus, listen, all of the, the different classes and the different sections that we put people in, all of that's been put away. We're all one in Christ Jesus through the cross. We're all one. You ain't better than anybody else. Ain't nobody better than you. We're all one because of Jesus Christ. What's fascinating about this verse here is that Paul wrote this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul, who at one point uh, was a Pharisee, and he lived by this strict set of rules. He lived at one point dominating women, lived under this. In fact, there was, a, there was a prayer that Pharisees would pray. It was called the prayer of segregation, where a Pharisee man would stand up every day and he, he would say, God, I thank you that you have not made me a Gentile. And God, I thank you that you have not made me a slave. And God, I thank you that you have not made me a woman. They prayed this every day. It was their way of saying, God, we're better than everybody else. And so Paul, who once made this prayer every day, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes in the scriptures that there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. We're all one in Christ. Women, you like me today, don't you? This is good stuff. So we're all one in Christ. So we don't view women, men, women, we don't view you through the curse anymore. We view everyone through the cross because the cross broke the curse. So here's the third part of this. The third good news for you this morning, women, is that women are called. Women are called. Women are just as called to fulfill the plans and purposes of God as anybody else. You say, well, Pastor Josh, what about some of them verses though? Because Paul, you know, there's a place in 1 Corinthians where, 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul says that a woman should keep quiet in church. What's up with that? Like, that's one of those head scratchers. Well, this is one of those verses that you have to understand the context and culture of the day in order to get what Paul is saying. You also have to weigh this verse against the rest of Scripture, which is important. Scripture interprets Scripture. And so... What we see here is this verse. Now, what happens is a lot of people will take this verse and they'll run with it. Because there's a lot of, I'm just being real with you, there's a lot of churches and male chauvinist pastors who align themselves with the curse and say, well, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this. But even when they do, they don't really do it like fully. Like there's no churches that I know of that when people are coming in, they're ripping off pieces of duct tape and putting it over the mouths of the women. Like that's not happening. Women is to keep silent so we can't, they can't talk at all in church anywhere. Like, no, no one's really doing that. But that's, if you're taking it literally, that's... Or really, the church is not a, is not a building, it's a, it's a people. So are women just supposed to take a vow of silence? So no, we don't do that. That's, that's extreme. Obviously, we can't do that. But what it means is women can't be in positions of authority. They can't stand in the pulpit. They can be in the less important roles, right? So we'll put them in children's ministry. What you're telling me is that you say by that action that you think women are less important, I guess, or children's ministry is less important? You guys follow me? I don't think so. 
I think it's one of the most important ministries we have at the church. Or we say, well, they can't, they can't teach from the pulpit, but we'll, we'll, let them, we'll let them lead a song. So what, worship's not important to you? Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, this gets kind of complex and convoluted. If we, where, where do we apply this? But what's going on here, if you understand the context and the culture of the day, is, is Paul is talking to a Greek church in Corinth. And he's talking to a group of people who are living under the same kind of conditions. Women are living under the same kind of conditions as the Hebrew women are. They are treated like dogs. In fact, in this culture, it's even worse. Women are, are sold into uh, prostitution for the church. They worship a woman god. And so there's women prostitutes, women temple prostitutes. So you go in a way that you worship this female god is you have sex with these prostitutes. And so this is the culture of the day. Women are not allowed to assemble. They're not allowed to sit in classes. They're not allowed to be taught. They don't know, they don't know any better. And so what's happening is in church services, they're standing up randomly and asking questions kind of out of order. In fact, if you study this, this verse here, Paul is talking about keeping order in service. He talks about not prophesying out of order, not doing tongues and inter- not doing a, just getting up and giving a tongue out out of, out of order in service. He's talking about keeping order in service so it's not chaotic. And what people believe was going on is these women are standing up and they're randomly asking questions and randomly doing things. And it's, it's causing them to not be able to keep order and service. It's kind of like when you watch football with your son when he's young. You may relate to this. When I first started watching football with Gus, he kept asking me questions. Like, I want to watch football. And he keeps asking me questions. What are they doing with those little orange stick things? Why do they keep moving those out on the field? And what's the chain? And why is it 10 yards? Why sometimes when they kick the ball, do they kick it off the ground? And why do they kick it out of the air sometimes? And why isn't a punt worth points? And why, who's number 47 out there on the field? And who's number 12? And what, what's that guy doing on the sidelines? Why does he have stripes on his shirt? And gosh, shut up, dude. <laughs> and so, and so I, rem- I remember saying this to him, buddy, just, just watch. If you'll just keep silent. And watch, you'll start to get it. That's what Paul is saying here. Just, just, I know this is new to you. I know you've never sat in an assembly like this. You've never been taught. Just keep quiet. Just kind of watch and you'll start to get it. That's what Paul is saying. But that, that context of what he's talking to is to a specific group. And it doesn't apply to the church as a whole. It's kind of like this. As I was thinking about this this week, uh, I, I thought of this analogy God kind of gave me. Okay, imagine that there's a church in western Oklahoma, and they hear about New Song, and they're going to plant a church, and they want to learn from us because they're seeing some of the success that we're having, and they want to kind of learn from us. So, so the pastor sends me an email and asks me all these questions about what we do and how we do it. And one of the questions he asked me is, how do you guys set up for church? And so I email him back, and I say, well, we've got uh, a couple of trailers that are full of all of our stuff that we park off-site at a secure location, and some of our guys from our dream team pick those up on Sunday morning. They bring them here to the church. We unload everything out of those. Dream team, can I get a holla? Yeah, dream team, we love you guys, and some of you need to get on the dream team. But we, we have those guys, they unload everything, they set everything up for us, and then when it's all done, they tear all that stuff down, they load it back into trailers, and we haul it away. And so they're like, oh, great, that's really helpful. So 25 years from now, New Song Church is, is huge and is making a global impact. We have multiple campuses. And there's another church that wants to learn from us. And they come across this email that says, this is how we set up church. And so they say, okay, if that's how they did it and they got to that place they're at, that's how we're going to do it. The only difference is that church has a permanent location. And so every week, even though they have their own building... <laughs> They're tearing everything down and putting it into trailers and hauling it away and then bringing it back the next week and setting it back up. How many of you know context is important? 
And what Paul is talking to is a group, a certain group of people dealing with a certain culture and a certain context, but it doesn't apply to the rest of the, the Bible, the rest of us, because we see that in Scripture, because in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, we see God using women in all these different places and them not keeping silent. In the Bible, we see that in the New Testament, that are, there are women that are prophets. A prophet speaks for God. You have to talk to do that. And we see that there's a, there's a girl named Anna that's a prophet in the New Testament. We see Philip has four daughters and they prophesy in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we see women evangelists. An evangelist is a person who seeks to convert others to the Christian faith. In order to do that, you're going to have to communicate. We see women doing that. Yudia, uh, Sintish is doing that in the New Testament. Phoebe is a woman evangelist. In fact, here's something cool for you. The first woman evangelist of Jesus Christ ever, or the first evangelist of Jesus Christ ever in Scripture is a woman. A Samaritan woman, not a Hebrew woman. A Samaritan woman who has five husbands that won't divorce her. (laughs) And she has an encounter with Jesus. And he, he, he revolutionizes her life. And then what happens is she, it says this, it says, uh, then leaving her water jar after this encounter, the woman went back to her town and said to the people, spoke to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? This is the first we see of a woman evangelist in scripture. The first evangelist in scripture, actually. And it's a woman. You guys tracking with me? Good stuff, all right? In the New Testament, we see women functioning in roles that are like pastors and teachers. Uh, Phoebe, Priscilla, Eudia, Sintish. There's a woman called the Chosen Lady in John chapter 2. They were all female church leaders who function in the roles similar to a teacher or a pastor in Scripture. In the New Testament, we see women apostles. There's a girl named Junia that's an apostle. And then this is amazing, okay? Matthew chapter 28. I want to show you something. This is so awesome. You're going to see this. Can you guys put that up there for me? Matthew 28. This is after Jesus has been uh, raised from the dead. There's these two women that are going to check on his body. And on their way there, this, this, he's not there. He's risen from the dead. And there's this angel there. And this is the encounter they have with this angel. The angel said to the women, everybody say women. women. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. Notice they got to go tell the disciples. Why? Because the disciples aren't there. Because disciples are hiding at the time. The women aren't hiding. Just, just saying, okay. <laughs> he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women, everybody say women. women. Talking about women, right? Hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet still filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. All right, you guys ready? The first people to ever communicate the full gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone else in the world were women. I thought that would get a little bit bigger of an amen right there. (laughs) That's incredible. That's incredible. That means this. Everyone who has followed in the footsteps, who shared the gospel since, has followed in the footsteps of a woman. It's amazing absolutely amazing. And so, let me get this straight. God trusted women to be the first people to share the good news gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet there are churches that won't trust a woman to share the gospel of Jesus Christ from the pulpit. Here's another one for you. God trusted a woman to carry the body and the blood of Jesus for nine months in her womb. 
and then to care for him throughout his childhood and into his adulthood. And yet we won't trust a woman to get up and do what my wife just did and share the elements of communion, which are the body and blood of Jesus Christ from the pulpit. God trusted women. Why don't we? Why doesn't the church? And what you're going to see if you study scripture is in the life of Jesus, Jesus protected women, empowered women, honored women publicly, released the voice of women, confided in women, was funded by women, celebrated women by name, learned from women, respected women, and spoke of women as examples to follow. And in a culture where women were, were told that we couldn't, they couldn't testify in court because they were inherent liars, God trusted them with the good news gospel to testify of the resurrected Savior. Wow, right? What I want you to see is there is a lot more in Scripture that speaks to women being released to ministry than there is telling them to keep silent. And so, okay, so we're talking about being redeemed from the curse, right? So let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to precurse, which we don't have a lot of precurse. It's just Genesis 1 and 2 where we see the world functioning precurse before the curse of the laws and operation on this world. But we can see some things in how God created the world in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 that show us, give us an example of what God wants, what God desires, how we can function, okay? So Genesis 1 verse 22, it says this, and God said, let us make man in our image. Notice he says us. He's talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice he says man. When he says man there, he's not talking about male. He's talking about mankind or humankind. He says, let us make man in our image. And so it says, it goes on to say, he made them male and female. And that is the image of God that God looks at in the world and says, that's good. Because remember, he sees man by himself in the garden and he says, that's not good. Why is it not good? Because one, we're made to be in community, but two, we're made to represent God in this world. And we represent God in this world in his image when it's male and female together. That's why marriages are so powerful. When you have a godly marriage, it represents the image of God in this world to the world around us. And this is why women need to be released to ministry in the church because when we have a church functioning with both male and female in operation within the church world, we represent from the church the image of God better than any other image can. And yet so often we have these churches that are just all male-dominated. Only the men can get up and do any kind of ministry. And only the men can get up and preach. And and what we're doing is we're setting aside half of the army of God. And so God says, he looks at Adam, he says, I'm going to make you a helper, right? And we, even that verse has been interpreted as, well, that's the man is the, is the man and the woman is just there to help. She's just there to kind of come along and support. Well, that word helper is not just mean she's there to support, you know, whatever he does. I mean, she, we, we both do that for each other, but it's more than that. It's the Hebrew word ezer. And that Hebrew word is found in some other places in Scripture. Let me show you. One of them is Psalms 121, verse 1. It says, I lift up my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help, that word help there is the word ezer. Where does my help come from? My help, ezer, comes from the Lord. So we see here that the help of God is referred to as ezer. There's another one, Psalms 89, verse 19. I have bestowed strength. That word strength there is, again, the word ezer. I be I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have raised up a young man from among the people. So get this. The same word that's used for a wife or a woman is also the same word used for the strength of a warrior and the help of God. Why am I not getting bigger amens in these people? Especially from you ladies. 
This is how God sees you. This is how you need to see you men. This is how we need to see the women that are around us, the women that God's placed in our life, that they can have the word of God in them in a powerful way. They can have the strength of a warrior to help us to do what we're called to do. Listen, church, we're better together. We need everybody. We need everybody functioning in the roles that they're supposed to be called in. We, we can't just do this with men. We can't just do this with women. In marriage, you can't just do this with a husband. You can't just do this with, with a wife. We, we, we need both functioning together, operating the way they're supposed to. And so listen, that's why at this church, we empower women. Because Jesus empowered women. Jesus valued women. Jesus loved women and released them for ministry. And so that's what we do. And I want you to just know, to know something. You need to know this. This church is pastored by a husband and a wife. And this girl down here is just as important, if not more important to this church than I am. You don't want to come to New Song if she ain't here. I'm telling you, it'd be lame. <laughs> but she, she, we have different functions, different roles, but we, we do this together. And that's why I'm so proud of our church. I'm so, we've got some incredible women that have stepped up and that are in leadership. And I'm telling you this today, there's some of you women that God is calling you today to step up into the, into the role he has for you. I'm releasing you today. Listen, women, I don't want you to keep silent. You hear me? Now, don't, don't interrupt me while I'm preaching. I'm not saying that. But I don't want you to keep silent. I want you to use what God's placed inside of you. God's gifted you. You see things differently. You see things the way we need to see things. You see things from a different perspective. You worship different. You pray different. You fight different because you know what? That same enmity that the devil has against you, you have against him. You hate the devil. And we need you. And so church, ladies of New Song Church, women of New Song Church, whether you're a young girl in here, whether you're a teenage girl, whether you're in high school, whether you're a young married woman, whether you're a young single woman, whether you're a young mom, whether you're an older mom, whether you're a grandma, wherever you find yourself today, I want you to know we value you. We love you. Is the church anti-woman? Not this church. Not this church. I can't speak for everybody else, but we're not anti-woman. In fact, I was thinking about this this morning. It's going to sound kind of funny, but I was like, there's a lot of churches that put these women in a box and won't let them do stuff. It's kind of like, you don't want to use your women? Send them to us. We'll take your women. <laughs> Sounds funny, but really it's true. Women are a part of the army of God and we want you here. So women, hear me. Don't keep silent. Step up. God's calling some of you. And men, get out from under the curse thinking. If you have a problem with women in the pulpit, you're probably not going to enjoy this church because we're going to empower and release women to do ministry because we as a church want to function looking like the image of our God. And so we will be a church where men and women are working together to change the world around us. Can I get a good amen? amen. You women love me today? Yeah. How about you men? You love me today? Yeah. Man, next week's going to be so good, right? Let's have a great week this week. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in this place. Holy Spirit, what is it that you're saying to us today? I, I really believe today as I was praying about this message, I believe that there's some of you, God is calling you women to step up. And he's calling you. Some of you have some stuff that's inside of you that you've been pushing down. You've been pushing it down because you, you seen, you've been thinking through the curse. And I, want, I hope today that you see that you have been released. You've been released from the curse of the law. Jesus took the curse so that you don't have to live under the curse. 
Some of you, I believe God's calling you right now. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that every woman under the sound of my voice would see the value that God places on her, whether she's a grandma, whether she's a young lady. I believe you're calling things into us, speaking things to us today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for our men here today. I pray that our men would see this from the right perspective. In Jesus' name. If you're here today with your heads bowed, eye closed, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'd love to pray for you today. In fact, if that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to just repeat this prayer with me. If you're not sure where you stand with God, say this with me. In fact, everybody say this with me. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. Jesus, be my Lord. Be my Savior. I surrender myself to you. I confess that you're my Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. Wash away my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.